Welcome everybody back to the About That Wallet podcast show. On today's episode, I have Sam Dulcine from the Black Real Estate Dialogue. He has been doing this for quite a long time and I have the most pleasure to bring him on the show because he's been just about everywhere, interviewed just about any person that's in real estate at this point. Um, definitely in the Black community, giving back all the game and gems to everyone. How you doing today, Sam? Man, I'm great. I'm glad, glad to be alive, glad to be here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to chopping it up, man, and, and, and getting into it. So thank you so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to, uh, to this interview. Yeah, I'm, really, this has been something that I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time, uh, which is redlining. Um, we kind of talk about it. I did notice that you talked about it for a little bit not too long ago, and I mm -hmm. thought that would be an awesome topic to kind of expound on that a little bit because you only did like 15 minutes. So I was like, yeah. man, we got to dive into a little, little bit deeper. You um, got the teaser. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So um, just for the people are not familiar with you, can you just kind of give a little bit of background um, and what got you started in real estate from the beginning? Yeah, so uh, Sam Dulcine, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, uh, born and raised. I moved to LA in 2016. So I've been here for almost five years. A job opportunity brought me here. Um, and basically I hit a moment where I looked at my retirement account. I projected out with those little calculators they use um and i'm like whatever i'm projected to have from this particular source is not going to last me too long on the track career track i, I am on, i'm on um and so i'm like you know what i got to figure out another way to generate some income and make a long-term investment that'll benefit me down the road um and from then i wanted to get into into real estate so that's kind of what started the real estate side and then on the podcast side um uh, around that same time, when I was preparing to make my first investment, I was listening to every single podcast I could possibly find. And I remember going in the, in the, the app, the, the Apple podcast app, and I'd heard real estate investors on various podcasts, but I'm like black podcast, black real estate podcast. I literally, literally I'm typing this into the search and I, I couldn't find anything. And not that nothing like that exists. I'm sure it does. But I, I literally in that moment, I couldn't find one fast enough. Um, and so I told, talked to one of my, my friends, uh, one of my close friends who ended up making the logo and he does all our design. I said, Hey, what if I started a podcast, um, highlighting the stories of black investors, there was no conversation. He didn't say anything. He simply said, do it. And so fast forward to April, October, 2019, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I still launched the podcast. Um, and so we've been just rolling since then, uh, 62 episodes in. Um, and, you know, thankfully it's continued to grow, um, and got a lot of fun things in store for this year. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how everything got started. Man, that is awesome because you don't, you always hear about like how simple most of the products and people invent something It's like, why wasn't it done before? And I actually commend you on the, the title because I was like, bread, I like bread. I like to eat bread. Right. <laughs> it made sense. <laughs> So I was like, yeah, <laughs> um, because, it's, uh, man, this is so awesome. So when you were searching, was there anybody that stuck out to you when you were going this research and just kind of say, you know, what, I really like what they doing, but I think we could take a, another direction. Um, as, as far as podcasts. Yeah. As far as podcasts. So there's a lot of amazing black entrepreneurship podcasts, but I guess 
I would hear real estate investors sprinkled throughout, but I was looking for something that was specifically, I just want to hear from black real estate investors, people I can, I just, that's the kind of show I was looking for. Um, and so I'm like, I can't find it. So I'll provide it somehow. Um, and so that's kind of the goal behind it, you know, and I, and I still listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts when I can. Um, it's very different since I don't have a commute anymore, but, um, you know, I still try to tap in. Yeah. Yeah. So can you give um, everybody just a little bit about that first deal that you've been through? Yeah. So I currently, it's funny, something just happened yesterday, but uh, I currently uh, live in California and I invest in Ohio. I invest in Dayton, Ohio. So uh, I bought a single family property in 2019. Um, and the way I financed it is uh, I put my student loans in forbearance for a year. And what that means is I didn't have any payments for a year and I was paying pretty high, man. From that, from like 22 to like 27, I was paying like a lot of money. Um, yeah. I don't know why, but I'm like, uh, I guess I should just do this. But um, I, all I have to say, I paused that. So I saved all that money. And I'm like, you know what? Like, what could I do to like expedite this? So I called my retirement plan. I said, hey, what are some options for me to utilize some of this money? They said you could borrow against it, which I didn't know anything about. And they said, you could withdraw and have this huge tax bill. I'm like, all right. So in the combination of borrowing, combination of that, um, uh, saving up that money from the forbearance, I was able to thankfully um, fund that opportunity. Um, and so I've been um, almost two years now since I've had that property. Um, I'm self-managing now. I let go of my property manager about a month ago. Uh, it's crazy because this tenant emailed me last night. Uh, her heat went out. And thankfully I was scrambling, but we, we were able to get that fixed this morning. Um, okay. Not glad how much it costs, but I'm glad she has heat. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so what was that? Um, I mean, I'm just kind of curious of like, you doing it remotely. So yeah. even finding it had to be a hard thing. Um, and then go from there. Can you just kind of talk about yeah. that process? Yeah, so, you know, Probably people probably wondering, well, you live in LA, why on earth would you want to even, why would you even want to go to the Midwest? Um, and so basically at that time, I couldn't qualify for enough to get something here. Um, and I think I kind of, at that time, I had made up in my mind that it's not affordable, which is not necessarily always the case, but eventually I learned about things like FHA, loans, um, different down payment assistance and so forth. Um, but at that time, that's just where I was at. I was like, well, I can't afford here. I want to invest in real estate. What can I do? And I started, was looking on forums, looking online, and I came across uh, out-of-state investing. I'm like, what? Like, how could somebody, really? That's the thing? And so I'm starting reading, like connecting with people on like places like Bigger Pockets and stuff like that and, and Facebook groups. And I'm like, wow, this is actually a thing. Um, and so I got connected to some folks out in Ohio um, and I went out there for a market tour in the summer of 2019. Um, I did a lot of research, looked at a lot of data and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this seems like a pretty good place. Um, there wasn't a, a, a property at the time when I was there that I, that I was interested in. Something came on the market in, I think, September. I wasn't there. So it's like, do you want this? Do you not? And so I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we did the whole due diligence, inspection, all that stuff. Um, same tenant that I had since back then, um, had the property manager at the time. Um, that didn't work out. So decided to just self-manage. 
Um, you know, I have a lady out there who invests out there who I met online. Um, she helps me out. Like, you know, if I need anything, like she referred me to the people to fix the, the, the furnace, um, who went to fix the furnace today. So, um, yeah, you know, I think being out of state, it's important to have boots on the ground, which are just people there, you know, it doesn't have to be your family. You know, you can network a lot on the internet. Um, but yeah, that's who she is for me. Like she came actually with me to visit my property when I went to visit there in November. Um, we had dinner and everything. So, you know, the, the power of the internet is crazy. Don't definitely don't sleep on it. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how that works. And then now, you know, on apartments.com is where I have the tenant set up. So that's where she pays. Um, that's where I send her the lease. Um, and, you know, she has my email, she has my phone number in case something happens like, like, like it did last night. And thankfully, you know, due to the power of networking, we were able to get it resolved in less than 24 hours. And now, you know, her and her family don't have to be cold. That's an awesome thing, especially with this cold chill that we get this time around. So <laughs> I can't, I, I can't, I can't relate. It's this today was 80. <laughs> oh, see, yeah, we just beat what, 40 degrees. That's yeah. not bad. Uh, it's <laughs> okay <laughs> but um so we i want to dive into um this redlining thing but before we do um one last question for the people who are afraid to invest long distance what is one of the the hurdles that you could say for somebody that's thinking about it um, that hasn't done it yet i would say mentally primarily just knowing that you need to get things done through other people. Um, perfect example was yesterday. I didn't even expect to have a tenant issue yet. Prior to this, the property manager handled everything and just gave me the bill. Um, but then it's like, well, you got to coordinate. I, I probably called like two or three people. Like I called a handyman. Somebody reached out to me and provided. Um, then you know, a woman who I know, she's like, I usually deal with these people. They couldn't go out last night. They went this morning. So you know, it's, it's a matter of delegating and getting things done through other people. And if you don't think you can, I mean, you might have to do that locally anyway, because you can't fix everything. Um, some things are out of your expertise. Some people feel more comfortable being able to like lay their eyes on it, which I understand. Um, but if you feel like you can't invest locally where you're at, I recommend you considering it with the caveat that you need to understand that it's not, especially if it's far, you're not going to be able to just pick up and get on a flight if a toilet is, is broken, you got to get things done through other people. So that's the main thing I would say. All right. Thank you. Um, so let's go on and get to the, the main topic here. Thanks for the history lesson on that one. Cause um, yeah. I think a lot of people could actually benefit just from that small little segment and just changing the mindset and moving yep. forward. Um, so when it comes to redlining, mm -hmm. um, what is it actually? Yeah. So, uh, the simplest way to um, explain it is that uh, back back in the days, there were literally maps with red lines around them. Um, and these were areas where people couldn't get loans for houses. That's one of the impacts of it. Um, and so, you know, there was no incentive to invest in some of those communities, which led to a lot of the blight that we see, a lot of the slumlording that we see. Um, and if you really look into it, I remember I watched a documentary about Minnesota. If you look into it, um, like this stuff was all planned. This is all pre-planned. Like this was not impulsive or anything like that. Um, it was strategically done to keep us from owning homes. One of the biggest wealth creators, one of the biggest 
ways to improve one's net worth is through a property, whether it's an investment, whether it's where you live, that in and of itself will change, can change the trajectory of your family. If you think about, you know, the equity, if you think about the appreciation um, over time. Um, and so you have, here you have, uh, back in those times, you have black families, many of whom could not own property, but then you also have like these white families, there were no restrictions on them. They were able to qualify for all the FHA loans, all the lending and everything. Their credit worthiness was never questioned. These people had a head start. These people were able to build that wealth, but our, our communities, you know, we're living in slumlord. We're living with, we're living in slums. We're living, um, you know, in terrible conditions and no one cares about it. And in fact, we also can't even, um, we also can't even get, get lending, you know, and a lot of times um, people in our community fell victim to predatory lending, you know, like, um, we still do. Not, <laughs> yeah, we still do. We still yeah. do. Um, what is it? Uh, is it like lease to buyers? I don't know. I don't know the proper term. Um, but a lot of it's, it's escaping me, but a lot of us fell into like the land contracts. Mm. It's something else that a lot of our people fell victim to. Um, but yeah, essentially redlining prevented people in our community from, <clears throat> uh, from owning property within their communities. There was, and also there was a lot, there was not an incentive for outside people to come and invest there and come in to improve the community. So that's like the gist of it. Um, maybe not the technical definition of it. That's like the gist of it and the gist of some of the impacts of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, um, looking it up. The only reason that I even came across redlining at all was from this book. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you read it yet. Um, the color of law. Yeah. yeah. I've heard about it. Um, this was like one of the folks, one of the first books that I started reading and kind of dove me into this whole financial thing is because I felt like we've came so far, but yet we still so far behind and dealing with the red lines that were set up, like it just leave us <laughs> Like we we don't get houses left to us most of the, most of us, um, and I was just listening to Bigger Pockets business, and one guy was saying like, yeah, you know, I had this this house been in my family since 1960, and it's been my grandparents' grandparents' house, and I'm like, that must have been nice, you know? Yeah, we don't we don't have that. Um, so do you recall any of the restrictive language that was used for redlining? We came across anything? Yeah. So, uh, some, what what comes to mind when you when you bring that up is racially restrictive covenants, mm. um, and essentially what that was is language written into the deeds of a home that restricted the sale to certain races. Sometimes it was Jews, sometimes it was Asians. It was always pretty much African Americans or people of African descent in those. In fact. When I purchased my property, believe it or not, one of the fears that I had when I received the deed, I wanted to know, obviously it's not enforceable anymore, but I wanted to know like, was there ever a racially restrictive covenant in the deed of this property? Um, I'm dead, I kid you not. Um, and so that was something else related that kept us from owning property too. Um, and it was a long time before something like that was outlawed. So, so again, you can imagine, right? Let's say you have a black family or a black individual at that time who is in position to want to own a property in a certain area, but they can't because of 
because of that, you know? So it, it, it's, it's almost like, and it's not, it's by, it was by design. You know, I don't want people to be naive here. Right. 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 Um, it was, it was literally by design. It was like, we don't want these black people building the wealth. We don't want these, these black people owning no property, especially not in certain areas. But to your point, talking about when you listen to that podcast, they're talking about, they have a home that's in their family since the sixties. How many of us can tell that story? Right. It's not a lot. So, you know, that's something that's related to it, but also like we wouldn't, we, 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 our credit, our credit worthiness would be, would be questioned, but that's like a whole other thing. Cause a lot of us were, and still are unbanked. That's a whole nother topic or under, or, you know what I mean? That's a whole yep. other topic, but um, it's just a whole lot, man. It's a whole lot that uh, yeah, that's like the tip of the iceberg, but it's a lot, it's a lot, definitely a lot more to it. But um, what comes to mind is the, the next thing it reminded me of is racially restricted covenants. And to be honest with you, I should have mentioned this earlier, but that's one of the big reasons that I started the podcast. I'm like, yo, like we are behind. So like, there's no time to play games. Like there's literally no time to waste. We are behind. Like I have a post that I post pretty, oh, it's like, if you buy one house, just that's just one, mm-hmm. your family's life would never be the same. And I got in a lot of bad comments for that, but it's like, if you think about it, what if your family bought one house? If your family was in this country 50 years ago, they bought one house. Yep. And that's that, that one house stayed in the family. And at the absolute very least, for the next generation, it was a home you just got to maintain and pay the property taxes. You don't have to pay a mortgage. That's so it. that's money you can save. That's housing security. That's that's wealth. You know, that's adding to your net worth. That's opening up so many doors. You can tap into the equity, start a business to, to put your kids. There's so much you can do. And so much other races have been doing because of one house. Like you don't even have to be a huge, one house, literally one house can change the trajectory of your family for generations if it's done properly. Yeah, that, that last piece is key, right? <laughs> if done properly, because... <laughs> Like you said, like we can have all it all, even still today, like you hear about it, you see people like, oh yeah, well, this house is in my grandmother's name. And then next thing you know, they wind up selling it or they don't know how to maintain it or they didn't know the finances behind it or what entitles of actually owning a home. All they know is just a renter's life. Yep. And yep. it's horrible. Um, and that's, it sucks, honestly. <laughs> just to put it plainly because it wasn't like how you said it systematically but it also came down from the laws too that the federal government put in place it wasn't like you know hey it's it wasn't the community that said that they wanted the covenants they was like oh y'all allow it and the community got together and said hey well we want this and i think it went on both ends um looking in the the color of law book it was on both ends like if the street was majority black, a white person couldn't buy a home in there. And that the street was majority white, a black person couldn't get it. So I was like, how can we actually go beyond, or the strategy, I know we just kind of talking about it, but like from that one house that you have even from uh, 2019 to now, but it's like, how can we go beyond the one house to the next one and actually change that whole dynamic um, mm-hmm. any suggestions have you come across since 
you've been studying? Yeah, so one thing, a lot of my guests, uh, the, the, the way they've started their portfolio is with a multifamily property, either through the FHA program, which allows you to put 3.5% down on a single or multi-unit property. So, you know, single or two to four units or a program called the NACA program, which is zero down payment, 0% down, more restrictions, but that's the gist of it. I've had multiple guests on my podcast. They got, whether it's like a two unit, three unit, four unit, um, whatever it was, lived in one, rented the others out, and you only have to stay there for 12 months. So many of my guests stayed there for 12, maybe 24 months, refinanced into what is called a conventional loan, rented out their unit, and moved on to the next one. So you imagine, imagine this, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you you get a three-unit property where you're at in D.C. or uh, in D.C. area. You live in one unit for the 12 months. You put 3.5% down on whatever the price is. You leave after 12 to 24 months. You get another three-unit. Stay there. Leave, stay 12, 24 months. Refinance into a conventional loan. Move to the next one. That's nine units already. Even if you just stop there and you do, you know, you manage the others properly, even if you literally just stop there, over the long term, you can't lose. Right. Obviously, I'm oversimplifying it to a degree. Things happen within real estate, but over the long term, you can't lose. Because once those homes are paid off, you know, once you gain some equity in those homes, like it's a different ball game, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say that, or, you know, if you're in a position where you want to, um, go in with a partner, maybe you two, you know, someone, maybe you co-sign on a loan, or maybe, um, you, you work it out. Two of you live in one unit, rent the others out. Imagine two people splitting a 3.5% down payment, do the math in your market, how much that would cost, but it can be a temporary sacrifice that could yield great returns in the long term. So there's ways to do it. It's just a matter of us receiving the right information. But you know, with receiving the right information, I think us also being in position to generate more income as well to be able to, to afford to do that kind of thing. So um, there's a lot of different ways in real estate is really about how creative you can be. Um, it's not about how, it's really about how creative you can be. Um, there's no one size fits all. Um, if you can get creative with how to finance things and um, how to go about different opportunities, you can't lose, in my opinion. Got it. Yeah, even if you have children, somebody can move into one of those other spots or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because I always think about it like, you know, like, yeah, I don't want to live with my mom anymore. Well, you can go downstairs. Like, <laughs> a lot of people do it. A lot of people do it. I got a friend um, in Brooklyn. His dad has a, I think they live in like a four unit. He lives in the basement. His parents live upstairs, which is technically the same unit. His sister lives on one of the units on the side. Like when you own, when you control it, there's a lot you can do with it. Obviously tenant laws are different in every city, every state. You may not be able to necessarily put, tell somebody to leave so your family can move in. But the point is like, it gives you a lot more options. Got it. So with those options um, and also those multiple people inside the household, I'm trying to think of the next thing, which is the census and how that can actually impact the society that we live in. And a lot of people don't usually fill that out. Have you come across anything, um, how the census actually come into play when it comes to real estate? No, actually, I haven't, I haven't had any guests. I haven't had any guests mention that, interestingly. Yeah. Okay. Because, um, you know, we just had recently do it. 
and yeah. most of you know the numbers. Oh, we did it last year, 2020. Like when, like have the results come out already? Oh, I'm not sure the results come out yet. Got it. Okay. Um, but I know that looking at it, a lot of people, at least historically, they don't want to fill it out. And when we talk about those red lines, even though they're not on the map anymore, um, but it's almost like we bite ourselves in the foot by not actually filling out the paperwork that kind of determines on how much money the city or your county gets if you're not filling it out. And it's based on those 10 year numbers. And then I believe Trump just put into play before he left like two years ago was the, um, the opportunity zones. Because with the opportunity zones, you got to at least stay invested for 10 years. And if you think about it from the census point of view, if they didn't put that money in or not everybody filled it out, then it was like, okay, well, this particular city didn't have that much growth in this long period of time. Then within the next time the census come out, it's kind of like that new shuffle. And so that's why I'm thinking like we almost kind of creating our own red barriers because, you know, when it time when it comes time for the government to give out money, they was like, well, all these people left your city. Why are we giving you this amount of money anymore? We're going to shift it to where now the new opportunity zones are the actual place to live at. So I'm just trying to piece it because this was all federal from the beginning. So why wouldn't the federal still stay in, in, in that pocket, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to take it from all different angles at this point. So yeah, but, definitely. It's needed. It is definitely yeah. needed. Um, so have you noticed um, anything about like the the food markets? So like the food deserts um, because of this, um, this movement, because you've been in it for like five years. I'm still trying to catch up. I've only been looking into this stuff for like two years. So um, yeah. I say we're on similar timelines, man. I kind of got deep into this stuff like two, three years ago, but um, yeah, I mean, food deserts are a real thing. You know, food insecurity is a real thing. And uh, to be honest, like being in this great country, this country that we're in, uh, the fact that that is still a problem is a shame, you know? Um, like I live in uh, Inglewood, California, and you know, there's a route, it's like a supermarket up the street from me, but I'm just thinking about, um, Oh, but there's not like no i have to go to another city to go to trader joe's or go to whole foods um like i can have a car not everybody has a car so if you think about the average family um who may be struggling who does not have a vehicle they may not always be within a reasonable vicinity of a supermarket and that's a real thing um or have access to fresh fruits to fresh vegetables to good food you know um as I look around where I live at, there's plenty of fast food joints. There's plenty of bad food that's easily accessible. Um, I think that's also by design as well, you know? Um, and so that's something that, I mean, I don't know what the solution is, but I just don't understand how that's still an issue in this day and age. And, you know, obviously people need to be better educated about certain nutrition and things of that nature, but it's like, you have, let's say you have the education, but you don't have the access. Gotcha. Like, you know, it's supposed to be healthy, but if you are, if you have a family and you're not, you know, you're kind of struggling just to go to, from the day to day and you don't have convenient access to fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, even though you may have the education, you're just going to go for what's convenient. You know, a lot of people work in two, three jobs, like 
how are you you understand like yeah. you're just going for convenience that doesn't mean you don't love your kids you don't care about your kids but it's like all of these issues like compound upon one another resulting in somebody who's very likely to be unhealthy um you know uh just given like all the different pressures and stress and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think we, I think we need to be, have a lot more sensitivity as it relates to that. Um, Cause you know, a lot of us, like it's easy for us to eat like me, I can eat whatever I want. You know, like right, right. I don't, I don't, I don't have like a family I'm taking care of. Like I'm not a single parent, you know, I'm not, I'm in a different position. I'm able to live a decent life at this point. Not everybody's in that position, you know? Um, but I think access to good food, access to not only the education, but the ability to like get said food, it's a big thing. Um, so yeah, that's something I hope changes over time, but that's something that I really do care about. Um, and it's, yeah. it's having a devastating effect, impact on our community and our health. Yeah, I was thinking about um, as far as even if you were to try to grow it, and I know that's been like a small movement about trying to grow mm -hmm. your own and trying to create like these little pockets of, you know, urban gardens and stuff like that. But that stuff takes time. You know, it, it takes time to grow an apple tree like six years. It takes time to grow spinach, um, which takes about a whole year. So it's like, you know, do you have each <laughs> each little plot? I'm not sure how big the, the backyards are there, but, you know, each little plot, everybody grow just like a small portion of different types of foods and just kind of everybody share and make a community out of that. But, you know, we all like that friendly, right? <laughs> Especially with the virus, so. Yeah, I think that could help. You know, definitely could help, you know. Um, it would be a start and a step in the right direction, yeah. for sure. Uh, we can't solve all the problems in this podcast. We can't. We can't. Like, <laughs> like, it's crazy, man. Like, what I try to think about is what can I do within my circle of influence to, to, to just help somebody? Like, what can I do to help my brother, help my sister, my friends? Like, what can I do to just take a small step. And I feel like if a lot, if, if, if it, and it shouldn't have to be like this, Yeah. but I feel like if a lot of, if we just did once, if we just made one small commitment, whether that's helping somebody who's in need of food, whether that's giving someone access to resources or information, um, it can go a long way, you know, like the podcast that we have, like it's one small step, you know, like it's a, it's a step, and it'll be here indefinitely after we're long gone. Information people can access and be inspired and encouraged by. Um, so, you know, it's very, it's easier said than done. It's very hard to not think of um, the whole problem and fixing the entire solution for everybody. It's very hard to get out of it. It's very hard to not focus on that. Um, we should talk about it. We should acknowledge it. But I think after, you know, kind of see what, what, what can we do? You know, because I, no one's gonna do it for us if right. we don't if we don't help if we don't help ourselves. Uh, as sad as it is, um, shouldn't be like that. But you know, that's that's my that's my best solution right now, man. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that one because we only can control the controllables, but sometimes the controllables are controlled by somebody else. <laughs> you know, <That's> so <laughs> like the banks, they have one thing and they have their structure and the laws that they got to deal with. We need access to capital, but the people that we know don't have capital <laughs> to access it. So, yeah. you know, then we reach and across the line somewhere, but we all, and it's almost like we are sellout. But ultimately, how it's a circle. You know what I'm saying? It's you constantly it is, yeah. talking in circles because nothing's gonna get done. Oh man, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I really think um maybe you and I we could probably try to find like some politicians or aldermen or something like that. Because I just came across an autumn like um I think on your episode. Hmm. Somebody talked about having an alderman and was able to get Gabby, her taxes. Yes. Gabby Burks. Yep. Yes. Uh -huh. She's in St. Louis. Yep. And I was like, huh, what does an alderman actually do? So that's why I was diving through this whole path because I was doing all this research before I, you know, brought you yeah. on. And it's like, why didn't I never? Because most people don't talk about that in real estate. They always right. talk about, well, I just bought the house. I bought this and that, but they don't talk about giving back to the community. And Gabby did a really good job talking about, you know, giving back. And by giving back, the city was able to give to her as well on that, that side of things. Um, yeah, I know we kind of <laughs> we ran this thing through. Um, no, that's all good, man. That's, that's, that's the nature. That's the nature. Sometimes it goes in that direction. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for understanding. Um, so for the people that's listening, um, I know we always already talked about even just owning that one piece of property, doing this one small part. Um, going forward with this challenge of trying to change the conversation and make sure that we educate the people as much as we can. Um, when it comes to redlining, where do you see or you think you can suggest uh, the best place to start? for someone that that's not really sure about this whole redlining thing. Yes, as far as just like learning about it. Yeah. Yes, I think books like The Color of Law that you have are good. Um, honestly, like in early on before I started the podcast, I just did a bunch of like Google research. I mean, YouTube research, found some great documentaries. There's one about uh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, I believe. I don't remember the name of the, the um, I don't remember the name of the show or the documentary, but you'll find it very quickly on YouTube. Um, I would say YouTube, just like kind of educating yourself. Um, I even found one about here in LA, you know, um, and people now who, uh, minorities who, re who realize like, wow, 50 years ago, I wouldn't be able to own this property because it would be legal to, to bar me from owning it. So I would say simply, you searching on YouTube, you'll find a lot of great documentaries, articles as well, if you Google. Um, you know, I think it's important to see where we have come from in that regard in this country um, as, as African-Americans, as Black people. Um, you know, I think it's important to know. Um, and I think it's a, it should serve as a motivation to um, take advantage of what you are able to take advantage of now. You know, um, we have a greater opportunity to, to, to own property than we did back then there's still a lot of struggles and a lot of racism and unfair things tied up into that but it's more accessible than it was back then 
Um, but I think it's incredibly important to for for us to educate ourselves on our history, um, on the history of, of things such as redlining, such as racially restrictive covenants. Um, and it should make us grateful, you know, if you do, if you are blessed enough to be able to eventually buy a property, whether it's to live in or rent out, whatever the case, you don't be surprised if you find a racially restrictive uh, language in your deed. Um, but I think it should serve as a proud moment because that's no longer enforceable. Obviously, they do it in other ways, but, you know, I would just say educate yourself on it as much as possible. Uh, you're going to feel a way about it but just don't allow that to impede your progress um, on changing it or on, you know, you yourself owning some property, helping somebody else to do so. Got it. So what you were saying um, about the covenant um, and so forth, I was thinking about the appraiser. How important is mm. the appraiser during, during the buying process or selling process? Man, did you hear about these uh, black families that had the, that had the issue? There's one, I think in Northern California, did you hear about that? If not, I can talk about um, it. Yeah, if you can talk about it right quick for the people who don't know about it. Yeah, I think so I think it. basically there was a family who purchased a property in Northern California. They did a significant amount of renovations um, and it appraised, the price it, it appraised well under what it was actually worth. And it was a white uh, appraiser. What they did was they you know, advocated for themselves and they had someone, I believe they had somebody white come in as the, um, as, you know, acting like it was their house and it got appraised for a totally different number. I think that happened in the North Carolina case, in North, Northern California case. If not, it was, there was another similar story to that. But the point is they had someone white fill in for them, everything changed. Um, so it's very important uh, when you're buying a property, you know, you should have a good real estate agent who understands the comparable prices of similar homes in the area and you know it should be in line it should be in line with with the comparable properties uh but yeah the price is very important um it's supposed to be an unbiased party um but yeah. <laughs> yeah that's uh that's something that's very important that's something that's very important so um yeah yeah that can a change a lot of things because <laughs> if the property is Let's say your property is appraised at maybe 200,000 less than it's actually worth based on comparables. And let's say, for example, that wasn't overturned or reappraised. That's $200,000 that you lose <laughs> in value. And that can, that's a, gen, that's a, that's a generational, that can be a generational shift right there. That's uh, crazy. So it's very important. I think I saw some stats that said, um, this is not a new issue. This has been an issue in our communities or with black homeowners for a long time. Um, so thankfully, you know, this family fought back. They knew, they knew that this was appraised well undervalued, but think about all the families who didn't have a voice, who didn't feel like they had a voice, who didn't know any better. Think about all that equity, yep. all that wealth that is just another step behind because their house got praised for a low amount and they didn't know any better. So we just gotta educate each other. We gotta educate each other. We gotta put the information out there and make help each other and make sure that um, we're all making informed decisions because it's real. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't it what DL Higley even went public about his for the same thing? He had the same issue too? Yeah. In pre present day? Yep. 
I think wow. it was um I think I want to say maybe four years ago, something like that. He went on uh, TV and did a full interview about it. It's crazy. Um, did he get it reappraised? He did get it reappraised. Um, but what he had to do was take down all the African art and everything like that. So every time, I think it was like on the third iteration, they finally sold it. They finally got to the proper amount. But it's sad that he had to do yeah, so many crazy. things. The bias is, bias is real. Yeah. is real. Yeah. So this, gotta, this, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just saying this is a real conversation because a lot of people mm -hmm. aren't having, they have them in closed doors. But I think it needs to be out there a little bit more. That, that this is actually happening um could just happen right down the street you don't even know you know crazy all right uh so what's um what's good for you what's good in your market for the next five years where you see yourself yeah so man i see myself growing uh black real estate dialogue um more and more um you know it's been a pretty good year so far uh so i have a lot of big goals uh so looking for looking to grow more looking to more partnerships hopefully you know, get some sponsorships and such for the show. Um, but I just want to grow the impact, um, help more people. Um, you know, we have a real estate investing community. I'm look, looking forward to growing. Um, just want to have more guests and hopefully, you know, maybe we'll take the show on the road once things get back to normal. Um, so yeah, I see a lot of things for the podcast. Um, for myself, I see myself, you know, investing more, buying more doors, um, getting getting some doors here in, here in LA um maybe some more out of the state but just building more bit by bit um and serving more and more so that's uh that's kind of where i see myself in five years uh hopefully hopefully i'm still on this soapbox <laughs> <laughs> nice. all right so um is there anything that the listeners could do to kind of support you at this point yeah definitely so uh, definitely feel free to follow at, at instagram at black real estate dialogue uh, also, you can visit our website, blackrealestatedialogue.com. You'll find everything that you need, um, courses, merch, if you're interested in merch, if you want to join our real estate investing community, uh, our text list, our Patreon, all the information is on blackrealestatedialogue.com. Um, so if you want to support there, uh, if you want to listen to the podcast, just type Black Real Estate Dialogue on pretty much any platform and YouTube. Um, if you want to check out what we have going on, over 60 episodes of games. So, um, you know, feel free to tap in and hopefully it's information that you can find helpful. Definitely, definitely. And like I said, I skipped through about eight episodes. I didn't skip through. I listened to the full episodes, so eight of them um, just that. yesterday and some today just to kind of get full understanding of your mindset and where you are and where you're headed with this. And I, I really do like the dialogue that you have going on. Um, great platform, by the way. Thank, um, you. thank you for having it So and creating it. Thank you. Thank All you. right. So you ready for these four questions? Let's do it. All righty. So what does wealth mean to you? Time and location freedom, you know, which I think happens when you reach financial freedom. But for me, just, you know, being able to do what I want with my time, being able to travel where I want, live where I want for as long as I want, that's, that's wealth to me. Um, you know, being able to spend time with my family, my future family, uh, my wife, my future wife, like just being able to have that freedom to spend the time as I, as I wish, that's wealth to me. Um, health as well, um, being healthy, that's, that's all wealth to me. And I think a lot of that is a byproduct of achieving financial freedom. What is your favorite financial or non-financial book? 
financial book is uh, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. I believe it's by Dennis Kimbrough. Yep, it um, is. Yeah, so that one's pretty good. I listen to the audio book um, every now and then just to kind of get re-inspired if I need some inspiration. Uh, so that's a good one. Favorite non-financial book? You might have got me there. Huh, non-financial book. What comes to mind? Non-financial book. Damn, we might have to come back to that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. All right. So what did you learn from your worst job? Oh, man. What did I learn from my worst job? Humility. Um, my first, one of my first jobs out of college was as a bank teller at Citibank. As a bank teller, you don't need, I could have had that job out of high school, but I just couldn't get a job after I finished undergrad. And so it was very humbling because that it's like, I felt like a, I felt like I didn't have, I, I shouldn't have been there. You know, I felt like, you know, I got a degree. I had all this pride. I'm supposed to be making $50,000 minimum. And here I am making like $14 an hour. Uh, at the time I thought I was making money, but eventually the honeymoon phase wore off. And I'm like, dang, like I'm sitting here with all these rude people, people who talking to me, talking to me how they want, cause they got some money in the bank. Um, some people had a lot of money, but it's like, I'm just being talked at all day. Like I went to college for this, like, and then I ended up getting fired from that job. So it's the only job I've ever been fired from. So it's like, that was definitely my worst job. But what I learned was humility. And I learned that like, you know, things won't always be that way. You know, thank God I was able to receive better job opportunities in the future, but I'll never forget that. Um, I'll never forget that job because it, it taught me humility. It taught me patience. Um, and it just, in spite of like how much I hated it, you know, I, I, I felt that the future had to be better, you know? So um, thankfully things did get better. Um, and, you know, getting fired from that job was, was the best thing that ever happened to me and put me in a mindset of, you know, job security doesn't exist, um, which has been very influential for me and in how I kind of handle jobs now that I'm older um, and how I operate in business and my thoughts around that. So um, yeah, I learned a whole lot from that experience. <laughs> Sounded <laughs> like a really worse job. Sounded <laughs> huh? huh? like the worst job. Yeah, yeah, that that's what comes to mind, man. So, um, what did you actually go to school for? This isn't part of the full questions, but yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, I went to school for uh, business administration. My concentration was in management. I was actually an accounting major at first. I hated that. I hated that with all my heart. Like, I'm like, yo, there's no way. I'm about to sit here in Excel or in some system looking at numbers all day. Like I want to help people. I want to interact with people. Um, I want to feel like I'm helping people. Not that you're not helping people as an accountant, but I'm like, yo, I'm just, I'm more of like um, a soft skills person as opposed to like a technical skills person. Like my strengths lie in my soft skills, my people skills, not in like, I like numbers. I like data, but my strength does not lie in sitting in a sheet in a spreadsheet for eight hours a day. Like I can look at like high level stuff, but that's just not what I want to do. That's just, I determined that's not what I want to do. I want to do something that's leans more on like the, 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 the qualitative side of things. Um, so, but yeah, I was a business management major. Um, yeah. Business management major. My interest at the time was in um, trying to get into HR recruiting. So I've been in that field for man, 
almost seven years. Yeah, almost seven years I've been in that field. So HR recruiting for different companies. Uh, right now I recruit for a company that sells bikes. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the wheelhouse I've been in nine to five wise. Um, but you know, it started from that, that change in my major. That's awesome. Cause usually most yeah. people take, um, you would think you'll be making about 50,000 coming out with at least that's with the BA. Thought. Right. That's what I thought. <laughs> I thought that, I thought that's what was supposed to happen. That didn't, didn't happen for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just good for the people that's listening because you know, they always think that, you know, I went to school for this. I should be doing this when I get out and they don't want to take any yeah. other job. But like you say, you just need to make some capital. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to go on to my, my last question that, um, it's one of my favorite questions. So what is your favorite pastry? Oh man, I like cookies. I like cake. Uh, I'm more of a savory person, but when I'm in the mood, I could definitely get down with some sweets. I like donuts. I haven't had donuts in a long time. Um, brownies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I'm in the mood, I'll, I'll, I'll eat some sweets, man. Yeah. Um, but that, that, yeah, those are those, that's what comes to mind. So I guess I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty diverse, okay. with, uh, <laughs> my pastry, my pastry, uh, <laughs> my pastry, uh, taste. All right. Um, I know you said this before, but we at the end of the show, um, you know, everybody only remembers the last end of everything. So where can people find you at on the internet? Yeah, so uh, we launched our website a couple of weeks ago. So if you go to blackrealestatedialogue.com, you'll find everything. You'll find courses. You'll find um, all the information about us, links links to the podcast or social media. On Instagram, it's at Black Real Estate Dialogue. On um, Twitter, it's at Bread Podcast. That's at B-R-E-D Podcast. Um, and yeah, if you'd like to learn more, tap into any of those. Um, and, you know, if there's anything we can do, reach out. There's you know, you can, you can DM, you can email, all the information is on the website. Um, if you need something, if you need access to something or information, whatever it is, uh, we're more than happy to help out. Awesome. Awesome. And um, again, my name is Anthony as your host on the About That Water podcast. Thank you again, Sam, for spending your time with us and actually sharing all this wealth of information that you gathered across the time that you've been doing your podcast as well. And also with your firsthand experience in real estate. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening to the show. Y'all have a great night.